Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, I'm your host, and we are coming to you from the snowy, frigid heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, if you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or a nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Klipsham says that no matter how you plan or renovate your project, please use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Hey, thanks to the uh, Des Moines Irish Session for the catchy new bumper music. I am part of that group, and if you're local here in Des Moines, you can hear us play somewhere in the Des Moines metro every Tuesday. What do we got for you this week? Uh, Joy Hahn will be joining us uh, from South Dakota for an update on the carbon dioxide pipeline fight there. And then uh, Devoted Vegan Mark Lipsham and moi, Devoted Omnivore, well, we've got a food fight planned for you. We'll see where that goes. And finally, for our farm and food conversation, uh, Kathy Burns and I discuss seed saving in Iraq's uh, Fertile Crescent. But first, this is, I mean, we're taping this program on January 30th. That is the 75th anniversary of the death of Mahatma Gandhi. And I want to start off with this short clip from the 1982 film Gandhi. Brother. Papu is already late for prayers. Oh, God. Oh. All right, so that's kind of a dramatic way to start off a program, but uh, I want to talk about that. You know, first of all, let me just tell you, I, I consider myself a minor Gandhi scholar. I don't have any... Uh, any, any credentials uh, that are formal to that account, but um, I've read extensively, I mean really extensively. I'd say a good chunk of the books in my, the biggest chunk of the books in my personal library are about Gandhi or by Gandhi. And uh, I have visited two of his ashrams in India. I've also visited with many of the people working to uh, enact his ideas of social change in you know, facing problems in their communities. Uh, his granddaughter, uh, Sumitra Kulkarni, is a friend of mine. I haven't talked with her in quite a few years, but I fondly recall staying with her and her husband for four days uh, during my trip to India years ago. And I also, you know, enjoyed uh, organizing her speaking to our Des Moines years ago. I want to mention something about that later in this uh, conversation. And I'm not trying to name drop. I'm just telling you, this is Gandhi has been a very, very important influence in my life uh, beyond just my connection to his granddaughter, his his his. His concept of how you organize for change is, in my mind, pivotal to what we need to be doing in today's world. And so, yeah, this is the 75th anniversary of the assassination of um, somebody who has shaped my life extensively. And, um, you know, Gandhi, the clip we just heard from the movie Gandhi, uh, he had just completed a life-threatening fast to bring peace to war-torn Calcutta. Muslims and Hindus were just going at it. It was horrible. He was walking to a prayer meeting. Every day there was a prayer meeting uh, in a garden near where he was staying. 
a guy who was part of the uh, Hindu nationalist movement who wanted to see India strictly be a Hindu country, uh, assassinated him, Nathuram Godse. And uh, ironically, Gandhi, man of peace, who wished uh, no harm on even his enemy, Nathuram was put to death by the state after he was found guilty. Uh, but I want to talk about Gandhi being canceled. But, but first, let me back up a bit. Uh, he's got a lot of company these days, okay? The cancel movement is, is, uh, is, uh, is rolling along. That train is uh, picking up more and more passengers all along. Uh, George Washington, of course, he got canceled. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Andrew Jackson. And okay, maybe, uh, maybe after a lifetime of hostility, uh, deep hostility and cruelty toward Native Americans, Jackson probably deserves it. Uh, this, um, <laughs> but about, about Washington and a couple others, others here, this story in The Guardian uh, from a couple of years ago, actually uh, from two years ago, uh, the San Francisco school board voted to remove the names of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Dianne Feinstein, and a number of other politicians, conquistadores, and historical figures from public schools after officials deemed them unworthy of the honor. Oh, big massive cancellation going on there. You know, yeah, and some of that is probably deserved. Conquistadors, absolutely. Abe Lincoln, nah, I'm not convinced. Uh, Feinstein, now that's intriguing. I, I have no feeling about Feinstein. I mean, I've, I've liked some of what she's done and disliked much of it. But I guess what happened was she allowed a Confederate flag to fly over a public building when she was mayor of San Francisco. I don't know the backstory there, and I'm not a fan of the Confederate flag. But in terms of the, um, <laughs> the folks who were opposed to her doing that, um, wanting to remove the flag. I mean, talk about great optics, okay? This, um, this uh, black man named uh, Richard Bradley, he dressed as a Union soldier to go and attempt to remove the Confederate flag from the San Francisco Civic Center while Feinstein was mayor. That's brilliant optics, by the way, and that's the sort of um, optics I associate with the strategies used by Gandhi. Anyway, um, <laughs> of course, not just politicians, but celebrities are being canceled as well. Matt Damon, uh, J.K. Rowling, sorry, Harry Potter fans, uh, Ellen DeGeneres. And yeah, I've been canceled too, several times, in fact. I, I wear each instance of uh, cancellation as a badge of honor, and I'll probably get canceled again for just having the audacity to share these views in a public venue. We'll see. Um, it's really gone too far. But now, let me say this. I, I know that, I know that a, a lot of this canceling has to do with racism. And let's be clear, racism is a problem in America. It's a huge problem. And things have, yeah, things have improved, for sure. But we have an awful long ways to go still. And that's, that's one reason I certainly support teaching about the history of racial problems in America's past. You know, students need to know that. They need to know about that. You know, but, but white students should never be made to feel guilty because of someone's sin in the past. And that's not fair. It's not helpful. It's not going to move us forward. You know, and as, um, again, flipping around here, as, as Van Jones wrote last week in response to the murder of uh, Tyler Nichols in Memphis, uh, he wrote, quote, at the end of the day, it is the race of the victim who is brutalized, not the race of the violent cop that is most relevant in determining whether racial bias is a factor in police violence. It's hard to imagine five cops of any color beating a white person to death under similar circumstances, and it is almost impossible to imagine five black cops giving a white, absentee, a white arrestee the kind of beatdown that Nichols allegedly received. End of quote. 
Good point. Very good point. And yeah, um, but more on that sometime. That's an important conversation. Let's stay a little bit more focused here. It is the 75th anniversary of Gandhi's assassination. And I want to dig a bit deeper into why Gandhi got the cancellation axe. As far as I can tell, it started in India. So in uh, 2017, an Indian activist who goes by the name Dalit Diva uh, wrote, uh, quote, It's time that activists from other communities start learning about Gandhi's toxic legacy, for behind his carefully crafted image is a calculating, cunning leader who was deft at playing communities against each other for the benefit of caste Hindu privilege, end quote. Now, it's astounding to me that anyone would accuse Gandhi of doing anything to benefit, quote, caste Hindus. I mean, his record of welcoming untouchables into his ashrams, you know, that, that cost them a whole lot of uh, public support, a whole lot of financial support. You know, I, I mean, his whole history is one of trying to embrace untouchables, include them in the life of society. So I, I totally don't get that. You know, in fact, his last act before being assassinated was a fast for human, for, for Hindu-Muslim unity in Calcutta. You know, so, you know, another perhaps um, more balanced viewpoint from India, uh, this is Omana Pisharoti, who wrote in 2020, I am aware that holding historical figures to modern-day standards of wokeness is an exercise in futility. Few chalk up to having championed today's version of equality. Lincoln, despite ushering in the emancipation of black Americans, still harbored racist sentiments. More recently, Ruth Bader Ginsburg worked to demolish the patriarchy, but denied justice to indigenous tribes, condemned the Black Lives Matter movement, and defended Brett Kavanaugh, who faced allegations of sexual misconduct from several women, and she called him a, quote, very decent man. <laughs> so, you know... Um, you know, but, but like the cancellation of other historical figures, um, the cancel Gandhi movement has caught on. And again, the whole thing's a mixed bag. Sometimes, okay, I get it. There's so much to talk about here. So in, in, uh, in, uh, in Africa, a couple instances there, uh, at the University of Ghana, the faculty successfully petitioned the university to remove Gandhi's statue from campus. And they cited Gandhi's racism. In Malawi, there was also work on a statue of Gandhi that was halted because of protests there. And I get it. You know, Gandhi's early years, they, they exuded racism. And, and the racism of his time was rampant. You know, in 1903 in South Africa, uh, Gandhi wrote, and this is kind of painful, he wrote that white people there should be the predominating race. He also said that black people are troublesome, very dirty, and live like animals. That is horrible. I can see why you'd want to cancel somebody like that, except for the fact that he outgrew that. He went way beyond that as he, as he moved through life, as he learned and grew. You know, and you could say the same thing about why, why isn't Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, why aren't they being canceled for their rather, you know, rather obtuse views about marriage equality? I mean, they were on the wrong side of that fairly recently. Uh, they came around. So great. They came around. People come around. That's a good thing. Don't cancel somebody because they did something stupid in their past. Um, you know, if they, I mean, well, okay, if it's, if, it's a, if it's a certain degree of stupidity, I get it. But, um, yeah, I guess my point is, how many of us had we lived 100, you know, 100 plus years ago, how many of us would have had a more enlightened view of racism or equality than Gandhi did? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing somewhere close to zero, all right? 
So yeah, Gandhi was a racist early in his life, but he uh, absolutely moved beyond it. He learned, he grew like, like Clinton and Obama. Gandhi came around on racial equality. But since, you know, since we're examining what the critics say, let's also be honest about the weirdness of Gandhi's decision to sleep with his niece. That is one reason he gets canceled, one of the other reasons he gets canceled. And yeah, there's nothing good to say about that. <laughs> it's, it's just total weirdness. Um, I don't think he was doing anything in, um, you know, inappropriate with his niece. By, by, every, by every account, it was, quote, just sleeping together. And, and, he, and again, his reasons for doing it are just bizarre. He's just trying to tempt himself to make sure that he maintained his, his, uh, his passion for celibacy. You know, there's no defense for it, but when you try to understand where Gandhi was coming from, read about his, his own writings, other people's writings. Uh, I mean, he, you know, forced to marry at age, age 13. Uh, having probably the most formative moment was when he was having sex with his wife as his father died, and that was a huge, huge moment of grief and 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 uh, and um, and guilt. Um, and there's lots of anti-sex stuff in the Hindu religion, just as there is in most religions. And uh, no wonder he was a mess. And no wonder at age 38, Gandhi gave up sex completely. Didn't didn't consult with his wife on that, of course. Just kind of announced it. So there's no there's no denying that weirdness and that wrongness. And he was and he was he was weird sexually for the, his entire life. At least with racism, he moved beyond that. He was also pretty weird on diet. I mean, I. You know, I don't want to get into all the details, but just some of the dietary stuff he believed in was just bizarre. <laughs> so, okay, so you've got that. But my challenge to cancel culture is this. You know, does conceding that your criticisms of Gandhi are at least partially correct nullify all the good work that he did throughout his life? You know, and okay, just the, just the bullet points, the cliff notes of his good work. Um, fighting untouchability. I mean, that was... He, he, he stuck his neck so far out on that. I cannot, for the life of me, understand why anybody uh, who has any connection to untouchability would, would not be grateful for the work he did on that. What about mobilizing an entire generation to oppose British imperialism? I mean, leading marchers, marches, protests, uh, fasting repeatedly. I mean, I think, what, seven or eight fasts he conducted? And, and doing all that without demonizing others. He never called the British the enemy. Uh, he, 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 had a, he had a different approach to dealing with their wrongness than is often common among human beings you know, fighting oppression. And I respect that. Um, you know, also, I mean, to me, one of the most important things about Gandhi was his uplifting of village life. You know, when I visited India, I met with people doing amazing work on energy, on farming, uh, helping lepers, uh, village, uh, village conflict resolution initiatives, uh, saving forests from being cut down, all these things being done, employing Gandhi's ideals, ideas of nonviolent conflict resolution. Uh, religious tolerance. I mean, he was, he was all about religious tolerance. That's what, that's what got him killed. The, the, those who don't tolerate other religions, in this case, a Hindu nationalist, is, who, is the guy who gunned him down. You know, women... He gets, he gets criticized for some things about women. Well, he championed women going into politics. Sumitra Kulkarni, his granddaughter, who is my friend, she was in the Indian parliament. You know, and just a, just a couple of reflections. I mean, I mean one thing, when, when the movie Gandhi was being made, uh, Nero was asked about 
by Attenborough, the uh, the guy putting the, the movie together, uh, asked Nero about it. And Nero said, don't make him out of, into a saint. He was human. One thing I loved about ta- talking with Sumitra Kulkarni, his granddaughter, was that uh, I got to learn more about Gandhi's human side, including um, a story she would tell about... Uh, you know, they would, they, would, they, would, they would go off somewhere and she would pop a piece of fudge into his mouth and he would pop a piece of fudge into her mouth. That's just so cool. Um, you know, here's a guy who you wouldn't think would eat fudge, right? And he's sneaking a piece of fudge with his granddaughter. Very cool. So um, when, uh, when my wife at the time and I had her over for dinner, we had Sumitra over for dinner. Uh, Kristen had made lasagna. And um, I got up to clear the table and to begin to um, wash the dishes. And she's like, Wait, what are you doing? Where, where, where's the dishwasher? I says, oh, we don't have a dishwasher. She says, you don't have a dishwasher? I says, no, and your grandfather wouldn't have a dishwater, dishwasher either. And she starts wagging her finger at me saying, you need to get a dishwasher. You need to get your wife a dishwasher. That was then. This is now. You need a dishwasher, <laughs> which was, to me, a hilarious moment. Again, that's, that's a moment of humanity regarding his granddaughter. But I think, in my mind, it reflects the fact that, yeah, Gandhi was human. He made mistakes. Uh, he did amazing things. And we can still learn from those things. We can still learn from some of the other people that have come under fire because of things they've said or did back in a day when what they said and did was pretty normal, pretty average. And the truth is, if we were living back in that time and also engaged in the way they were, we probably would have said and, son, said and done many of the same things. So I want to leave you with these words from one of the, uh, one of the broadcasters who was at the uh, funeral procession of Gandhi a couple of days after he was assassinated and before the uh, funeral pyre. The object of this massive tribute died as he had always lived, a private man without wealth, without property, without official title or office. Mahatma Gandhi was not the commander of armies nor a ruler of vast lands. He could not boast any scientific achievement or artistic gift. Yet men, governments, dignitaries from all over the world have joined hands today to pay homage to this little brown man in the loincloth who led his country to freedom. In the words of General George C. Marshall, the American Secretary of State, Mahatma Gandhi has become the spokesman for the conscience of all mankind. He was a man who made humility and simple truth more powerful than empires. And Albert Einstein added, generations to come will scarce believe that such a one as this, ever in flesh and blood, walked upon this earth. That to me is a pretty accurate tribute to um, a guy who did some great stuff and who continues to teach us lessons. Certainly has taught me a lot in my life. Uh, All right, so there you go. 75 years ago this week, Mahatma Gandhi uh, gunned down after leading an amazing uh, effort to rid India of imperialism and set a model for how we engage in conflict in the world. This is Ed Fallon, folks. We've got to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Joy Han about the carbon dioxide pipeline situation in South Dakota. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, 
hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of our media, the niche that we provide here is more important than ever. So please support what we do. Uh, go to the Fallon Forum website, uh, donate, and even better, become a monthly sponsor. Speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open from Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 1, sorry, until 5 p.m., and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact David Drake, familypsychiatry.com. I'd like to welcome Joy Hone to the program. Uh, she and her husband raise corn and soybeans on land adjacent to the farm where she grew up, and uh, her brother, who lives nearby, raises cattle and buffalo, which is very cool. Uh, in addition to farming, Joy is an airplane pilot, which is probably even cooler. Uh, she and her husband have two children, and the oldest is in college. He hopes to take over the family farm one day. Uh, now, this family had their land bisected by the Dakota Access Pipeline back in 2016, and now they are again in the uh, crosshairs of another pipeline proposal. Uh, Joy, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So, yeah, it's uh, going to be down to four uh, four below zero here tonight. How are you doing? Can you beat that? <laughs> yes, we can. Uh, looks like we'll be at a negative 14, unfortunately. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> this is what makes us tough in the upper Midwest, and also it gives us great soil. So, um, hey, before we talk about the pipeline, I just got to... Uh, I haven't had a guest from South Dakota on in a long time, so uh, I, I just want to share this um, with you and our audience and get your, get your feedback on this 30-second uh, ad. Mars. The air, not breathable. The surface, cold and barren. But thousands are lining up for a chance to go and never come back. South Dakota. Progressive, productive, and abundant in oxygen. Why die on Mars when you can live in South Dakota? South Dakota, you can live here. All right, Joy, I just thought that was an hysterical ad. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, you don't often find a government agency, especially an Office of Economic Development, that has a sense of humor. So uh, anyway. Yeah, uh, I agree. Have you seen Have you seen a big influx of population into South Dakota after that ad? When people saying, "Hey, they got a good point. I think I'll move there instead of Mars." 
Well, we're definitely getting an influx of population, but I don't know if it's because of the ad. All right. (laughs) Well, and it's probably also not because of a pipeline. I'm guessing that um, that like like most farmers in Iowa, people are either opposed to or have grave reservations about another pipeline coming through their property, often uh, because of the authority of eminent domain being used to build it. That's correct. I mean, that's how we feel here as well, is that, uh, you know, the abuse of eminent domain and the safety of the pipeline, um, you know, the 45Q tax credits that have really pushed these pipeline companies to build them as quick as they can, really without any regard to human life Mm -hmm. (laughs) or animal life or even vegetation. So, yeah, we are definitely concerned with uh, the carbon pipelines as well. Yeah. And uh, how, how many, do you have any idea how many miles of South Dakota would be affected by it? I think it's around um, like almost 470. Gee. So that's, that's more miles than uh, the Dakota access pipeline through Iowa. I mean, yeah, these, that was, that was about 350 miles of pipe. Um, and now the uh, carbon dioxide pipeline is just in Iowa would be 2,000 miles, which is crazy, which is incredible. It's awful, really. Yeah. So are you finding that uh, are more people opposed to these pipelines than were opposed to the Dakota Access Pipeline? For sure. For um, sure. I, I think, uh, you know, the another big factor with this pipeline uh, is the safety issue that is that is getting people more concerned Um you know, with that. Such as what happened in Satarsha, Mississippi a couple of years ago when a pipeline ruptured, a CO2 pipeline ruptured and 49 people were sent to the hospital, some of them in very critical condition. Is that the primary concern, that sort of accident possibility? That, correct, that is a big concern, but also the eminent domain issues are at the forefront here in South Mm. Dakota as well. Mm. And I'm I'm guessing your land, your farmland is very rich in fertile, much as uh, a lot of the farmland here in Iowa that's targeted with these pipelines? I would say it's pretty comparable, yes. Yeah. So um, what's the status right now? Is Summit, they've already filed for a permit, or where are they at with this process? Right. So in South Dakota, we have the Public Utilities Commission, and the way that our laws work in South Dakota is that once a permit is filed with the South Dakota PUC, under law, um, the PUC had to render a decision within 12 months. So um, Summit filed for their permit in February of 2022. Now, you know, of course, the 12-month timeline would have been up here this next, this coming February, but because they were all over the place with their routes and, you know, just didn't really have their uh, ducks in a row with that, uh, the PUC in South Dakota has granted them an indefinite extension. Mm-hmm. So uh, we just had a hearing, oh, I suppose maybe about a month ago, and uh, now the hearing date for summit with the South Dakota PUC is going to be in September. Now, Navigator, so uh, summit goes kind of on the west side of Sioux Falls. And and we also have the Navigator Pipeline, and that goes on the east side of Sioux Falls. And they filed for their permit at the end of September. 
they have not filed for an indefinite extension. And so their hearings are going to actually be held before the summit pipeline hearings. Uh, and those okay. are scheduled for June. So you actually have two pipelines coming through South Dakota. We have three in yeah. Iowa. You have two. I mean, that's a, okay. it's just crazy. It's, I mean, I, I cannot imagine how much public money has already been spent, you know, in, in your case, through the Public Utilities Commission and county governments and city governments having to respond to these things. I mean, it's just it's an incredible amount of money that has to be flowing from the taxpayers to just pay for what's needed to respond to these big companies. Right. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. So <laughs> you, you were on the Dakota Access Pipeline Road. Did you lose land? for that project? Well, we, so basically, I don't know how things worked in Iowa, but before we even went uh, to the PUC hearings on Dakota access, uh, they had filed eminent domain and condemnation lawsuits against us. Hmm. And so, um, you know, then like during the hearing process and, uh, we ended up actually settling before we actually went to court on the eminent domain and condemnation because, you know, at that time there was just a handful of us that mm -hmm. were uh, basically fighting against the Dakota Access Pipeline. Right. Yeah, and there were the, and you know, but in at the end of the game, there wasn't a lot of people who went to eminent domain here in Iowa because so many of them were were. I mean, a lot of people were very much opposed to it, but just felt forced. And um, I know I know one really good example of a family that uh, that insisted on going through eminent domain. And in the end, even they got they got sold off by their own compensation commission at the county level. They got about a tenth of what Dakota Access would have paid them had they not been forced to condemnation. That is just so wrong. You know, oh, how, 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 can yeah. the, how can the market value of your property change by that big of a factor? just because you suddenly end up in condemnation court. It just, it just boggles the mind, boggles the mind. Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, property rights are being, there are, I mean, we're just seeing property rights across the board being affected, and that, yeah. it's just not right. Yeah, and it's, it's remarkable to me that, that any politician would support this, given, the, given how wrong it is just, just on its face value, but also given the, given the extent to which public opposition is is deepening so I, a question regarding the Dakota access pipeline again I, I think that one reason uh -huh. we're seeing more opposition here in Iowa is for the same same reason people saw what that did to the land and they don't want to they don't want any part of it and so what have, what have you kind of what kind of impacts have you seen what five or six years later now what what, what is uh, what is your land like where the Dakota access pipeline came through well, it definitely hasn't returned to pre-pipeline state. I mean, after Dakota Access left, you know, besides the amount of trash and tr timbers that were left on the land and the compaction of the soils, it was countless rocks. And every year we would have to spend hours, uh, you know, just going across that path of land uh, to basically clear it of the, you know, the bigger rocks so that they would not hurt our farm equipment. Mm. And that, and that was, that was, the, that was work you did that was not compensated, of course. Well, of course, yeah. that's correct. What kind of trash <laughs> did they leave behind? Well, just, you know, like uh, the construction workers would leave their, their trash, um, you know, when they were working on the pipeline, whether it was pot bottles and, 
you know, uh, hamburger wrappers or, or whatever that would be. But also the timbers sure. uh, that were used that they used to drive across the land with. And then, yeah, that would, I mean, I guess that's probably the main yeah. thing. Have you heard from other landowners in terms of how their soil fertility is doing, what kind of crop yields they're having this many years after the, uh, the pipeline was laid? Uh, you know, I think that they are experiencing pretty much this, the same as us. And, you know, we just kind of dealt with it um, because we, you know, this was the hand that we were dealt with and we just tried to make the best of it. And, you know, in the long run, you know, if it was for oil and that benefits, you know, America, I guess we just learned to deal with this and did not imagine having another pipeline coming yeah. across our land. Well, and except that most of the oil that's flowing through South Dakota and Iowa now is, is for export. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, they, they yeah. sold it as helping for helping American energy independence. And then you have Barack Obama boasting about making America the biggest oil exporter in the world. Thanks, uh, President Obama. So that was a lie. And um, my, yeah. my concern about this is, uh, well, I have many concerns about it, but one is that they, they talk about this... Um, this uh, carbon dioxide being sequestered in the ground. And Summit's own promotional video says for a million years. And the arrogance of that just astounds the mind. But they're going to sequester it in North Dakota. And, uh, well, with the Navigator Pipeline, they're sequestering it in Illinois. Both areas are where you've got big oil reserves. And my, right. my, my feeling is they're going to use it for continued oil extraction. And I confronted the pipeline uh, executives on this with Summit. And they basically wouldn't say, they wouldn't promise that they'd never use it for that purpose. Which says to me that they're going to use it for that purpose. So the whole argument that this is somehow going to address climate change, they're actually going to make it worse because they're going to use it for getting more oil out. Anyway, it just, it is incredible to me. So what, what I, could... I agree with all of what you just said. So <laughs> what, what, can, um, what, what, can, uh, what can South Dakota, Dakotans, uh, what should they know in order to... Uh, respond to this at this time? Well, I mean, right now we're working with our legislators trying to uh, get some bills passed. Um, it is kind of an uphill battle because we do feel like we are the David versus the Goliath in this situation. We mm -hmm. basically, we just have us <laughs> as landowners going to the legislators and trying to basically tell them our story versus, you know, summit and navigator whining and dining our elected officials. So, right. but we have five um, bills that have been introduced that are related to carbon pipelines or eminent domain or the permitting process. And uh, so we're still kind of um, waiting on the hearing dates as far as when those will be in committee. Okay. All right. Well, keep me posted and we'll continue to help spread the word. And that's very comparable to what's going on here in Iowa. There are, I think, four or five bills introduced that in one way or another would restrict the use of eminent domain to build these pipelines. And, you know, again, I'd say probably 90 percent of the general public would agree that it's wrong to take somebody's land so a private company can put a CO2 pipeline through their property. I think that's a no brainer. Well, you would think, and, you know, unfortunately, we would think that our governor would be standing behind us because, you know, she ran on the campaign of property rights, but she is, uh, 
She's not taking a stand. Hmm. Um, there's speculation that she's going to be running for the presidential bid in 2024. And uh, we hmm. know that Summit Carbon Solutions, um, POET, which is one of our, uh, well, probably I think it's the largest ethanol plant, and the South Dakota Ethanol Producers Association were the top sponsors for her inauguration. Wow. So this yeah. was very concerning and disappointing to us that she'd accept donations from these organizations that have ties with foreign investors and they yeah. want to abuse, you know, um, our property rights. Yeah. I did meet your governor once here in Des Moines. Um, yeah. <laughs> she talks a good talk, but apparently... Uh, there's some pretty powerful players pulling some strings behind her that would make it really difficult to expect her to take the right kind of stand on this issue. Uh, same problem we're having here, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Joy, uh, thank you so much for joining us and uh, keep on doing what you're doing. Well, thank you for having us. And and I'd love to uh, continue to hear how Iowa's doing because, of course, we need to fight this fight together. Yes. Yeah, well, Minnesota, North Dakota, Illinois as well. And then... So many other right. parts of the country are seeing similar pipeline expansions for one reason or another. It's just uh, an assault on property rights and on the environment. Um, Joy, uh, again, thanks so much for joining us. Folks, we've been talking with Joy Hone, a farmer from South Dakota. When we come back from a short break, uh, we're going to be talking, uh, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to get into a food fight. My, uh, one of my vegan friends uh, and I, and a devoted om omnivore, are going to be uh, talking about the various um, values of our preferences. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back, folks, to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business or nonprofit sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. Uh, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, again, welcome back to the program. And with me now, uh, Mark Klipsham, who is as dedicated to his vegan lifestyle as I am to my omnivorous lifestyle. Mark, welcome to the program. 
How do you do, Ed? Always a pleasure. Yeah. So we're having a food fight here. I I now I I I book I build this as a food fight. I mean, no um no blows were actually exchanged. No food was actually wasted in the uh, in the conducting of this interview. But Mark, um, you have strong feelings about the vegan diet. Make your Remember, case. Remember, Ed. Remember, Ed, I'm a good person, not a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I, I remember we, we bandied about the idea of a philosophical Olympics. This is the level of the question I would like to put to you. All right. Can I read a couple of short quotes first? Very short. Okay, if they're very short. If they're, if they're only short, that's, that, that's not short enough. Okay, well, the first one's by Buddy. Oh, no, wait a minute, Buddha. Well, whatever, you know, sure. Um, the mind is everything, what you think you become. And the second one is is out of the Bible. I, there are many parts about the Bible I love. Man has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked are cruel. And, and what, what do either of these have to do with diet? Yes. Well, it has to do with my question. Would you like to hear it? Yes. What is the difference between raising animals for food and slavery? Um, there's a huge difference uh, because all animals and plants eat for a living. And uh, some are strictly carnivorous. Some are strictly vegetarian. And um, I would say the luckiest ones are omnivores, although Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, has a really nice wrinkle to that. But um, among other omnivorous creatures, um, chickens, uh, possums, raccoons, you name it, there's a whole bunch of omnivores out there. And, uh, and we, aren't, uh, we aren't enslaving some other creature because we are eating them. We are surviving Nice obfuscation. So the question was, what is the difference between raising animals for consumption and slavery? That was an obfuscation. That was that was. It's not. It's not a good question, Mark. There, there's there, there, there's no there's no comparison. Slavery is what one human being does to another human being, and it's always wrong. Whether it's the uh, well, historical slavery or the slavery that currently exists with uh, with wages, well, in some cases, this, this is the, see there therein lies the issue. In uh, pre Civil War, they had to legislate that a slave would be considered three fifths of a human being, and that was for political purposes, right. for political power, and that was horrendous. No, there was absolutely not human beings or animals just as the Jews were in Nazi Germany, just as the immigrants were called by Donald Trump, just as the indigenous people, those filthy animals. And the reason they're filthy animals is because you can kill animals with impunity. They have no rights. They're animals. That's why you call something an animal is because they have no rights and they don't have to be treated like people because they're animals. They have no rights. They're no, I wouldn't animals. say, I would say an animal, I mean, good farmers raise their livestock uh, in, in very humane conditions. And that's why I'm not a fan of industrial agriculture. So I don't think it's possible to raise animals in, in, in huge numbers and have a, have, a, have, a, have, a, have a humane system, and certainly a system that also respects the environment. But I think when you uh, operate on a different level, you can, and you want to, I mean, farmers I know treat their animals very well. Well, and that's why I read that quote. Uh, there are different people, but it's, 
it's a sliding scale that never gets to uh, freedom, if you will. I, I have the choice of doing all kinds of things, and I choose to conserve energy, have a plant-based diet. I'm certainly not suffering. Right. I am literally looking outside right now at a mostly barren, chemically killed field of bleh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally unsustainable. Okay, so so what you're arguing for is the exception and not the rule. Okay, the, the, the nicest CAFO owner in the world, and by the way, there were slave owners that treated their slaves very well. They were, treated them reasonably, but guess what? They were still slaves, and if they wanted to kill them or do it, there's no qualms about that. They're, they're slaves, they're animals, whatever. They're, they're not even of consideration. Uh, I happen to own cats. Excuse me. <laughs> I am owned by a cat. I have dogs. <laughs> Most people have a cat know. or owned by a cat. Yes. Uh, in fact, it was just lying all over my keyboard right before he called, and, and <laughs> by law, I could kill that. I could not mistreat the cat. I could not mistreat the dog or the horse, but I could kill it with no, nothing would happen to me whatsoever because it's just an animal like a slave, like an indigenous person, like a Jew in Nazi Germany, whatever. They, they, they were not, they were, they're animals. So you're, what, you're, what, you're remember you're, that quote, the quote, quote about your mind. So, you know, one of the biggest concerns, in fact, Vilsack is giving money, and I have an article in front of me about our $32.5 billion animal industrial agriculture, which is a wonderful bit of Orwellian newspeak. It's like animals are, are grain or something. You just raise them and you harvest them, and there's no blood or guts or anything. It's just it's like bread. Okay, so their, their biggest concern is how to mechanize a slaughter factory to make it more efficient to increase profits. Yeah. Okay, that is the quality of thought we're talking about here. And we get to that point through massive subsidies using my tax money, and I get to pay for the health fallout and the environmental disaster, the filthy water and everything else. Yeah, it's... Things, it's like it's like Ed, you are the exception, not the rule. Well, I think there are more and more exceptions. I mean, there are more and more people who are being conscientious about where their food comes from, whether it's animal or vegetable. And again, you know, not all vegetables are created equally either. You can get, you can grow a head of lettuce in your backyard, or if you want to get it from uh, the Central Valley of California, you're going to have a huge carbon in, carbon footprint and probably some chemical residue as well. So, you know. You, you know, funny you should mention that. I'm going through photos, and, and I know we're going through a weather cycle thing too. The earth does, but it, it's definitely uh, exacerbated by climate change. I was looking back to pictures of like uh, early 2000s, late 90s, and my South Garden had this thick, delicious-looking uh, spinach in it, lettuce and all that stuff. I was like, man, I can't grow that stuff in my South Garden anymore. It's yeah. too hot. It's too dry. Well, yeah, we we're always we're having to adapt to the changing conditions. We found that with our potatoes last year. Let me ask you this, Mark. Uh, should, should no animal be killed in the production of vegetables? Well, let me uh, let me wrap my head around that I Let me be. Let me. I can give you some specific examples. Um, bean beetles infest your green bean crop. Do you kill them? Do you let them just have their share of it, and go with a greatly reduced crop, or what? Mm, it's funny. I don't do anything to them really. 
Uh, I, strangely, I, for being right in the middle of monoculture, I, I guess the, uh, the Japanese, of course, they were introduced here. They're not a natural thing. Man did that. I told you about the book Collapse. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna read I'm gonna read the book, Mark. I promise. I've actually ordered we, it. We we've introduced <laughs> so many problems in our quest for profit. Remember that thing I gave you? Uh, okay, look at look who's look who's today are the results of the solutions of yesterday. Yeah, but wait, look who's avoiding the question now. What do you do about the bean beetles? <laughs> like I said, I, I don't. They don't really seem to decrease by harvest the noticeably so i, I or, what i'm more worried about is heat and lack of water so i'm going to use the, the sunscreens i told you about the yeah screening. yeah Those I, are good. I, it doesn't seem to be a huge issue bugs in general are really? not a big issue in my garden even the, I, even because it's a healthy garden i don't know even the japanese beetles they don't uh, they'll get on my basil every now and again uh, but the, it's really weird. I'll have 50 plants and only two of them, they'll, they'll love hmm. two plants out of 50 and they'll leave all the rest alone. So I, I don't, I, I knock them off. Well, let, 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 let me tell you about some of the slaughtering we do here. Um, we, we get, we get flea beetles. We will use, uh, we, we will use uh, diatomaceous earth to get rid of those. Or I might even go out there and just squeeze them. Kathy is really adept at going out there and, uh, slaughtering squash bug eggs. Um, okay, now now we're getting out uh, squash. That's that different. Oh, by the way, okay, you know what? Animal versus insect. Uh, you know what? If you if you take a magnifying glass and and put it on an ant, my God, they sure act like they're feeling. Yeah, uh, they fry if, pretty if quick. If we want to get into the woods, plants feel as well. Yes, at some point, I do have to eat something. I, uh, I, interesting as an insect and animal. I, I don't, I don't, I have not come to grips with that one. Well, I I, they don't raise them in capos. I know that. Well, they, sometimes, sometimes crickets are raised in capos, little capos, little, little really, cricket capos. Okay. Now that's a very, another, it's another excellent, excellent point. Why? Uh, if I want protein, I've got beans and grains. <laughs> Works and I, and I've and I've got egg, and I've got eggs and rabbits. <laughs> okay, and, and and how much blood is left over from my rice and beans? Oh, and guess what? Guess what else my rice and beans don't do? They don't add. They don't contaminate my kitchen. I don't bring things into my kitchen. You could lick my chopping block oh. into that. Well, I, I, I have a, I have a story for you there. We uh, we were gifted a bottle of mead uh, almost a year ago, and we forgot about it and decided, oh, it's time to open that bottle of mead. And and when we did, the geyser that squirted from the counter up to the ceiling with amazing force was comparable to Old Faithful at at, uh, at, at Yellowstone Park. And I think um, I think the stains that that the, that are now on the ceiling are, are probably going to remain there. So I don't know. Uh, I've actually done more. I've done. I'll give you a bottle of mine that I can't drink anymore. No. alcohol. <laughs> no, I've got this stuff lasts for a hundred years. Oh, by the way, it's called fermentation. Yeah, yeah, we discovered uh, that. <laughs> fermentation is a good thing. That's yes. how it got to be mead in the first place. Yeah. So I guess I guess you could say yeast is animals as well. Yeah. I don't know where that line is at, but 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 about the time it has eyeballs and it looks at me and blood squirts out when I go to do whatever I do. I go like, do I really, do I need this? 
And by the way, is the end result happiness and health, which I'm pretty sure is kind of the goal, I think, of why we're here. I don't yeah. think it's pain and suffering and pestilence uh, and murder and slaughter. So, uh, so I'm going, mm, I don't know. Remember that back to that? The mind is everything. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Well, what is my goal? Mark, i got to run to a break. I, I sure appreciate the conversation, and I wish you were here so we could actually like strangle each other. Um, uh, no, but... <laughs> no, no, baby. I, I, I'm only doing this because I love you. And I want Same. You to, oh, by the way, animals go to heaven. My daughter was getting into a Bible verse about that. Uh, the lamb will lay with the lion, all that kind of stuff. It's like, in the Bible, it says, Animals basically have spirits. Yeah, okay. So, and the lion, the, and the lion, the, and the lion in heaven will eat a vegan diet, I guess, right? Define, define animal, I guess, is yeah. the question. Will there be any insects anyway. in heaven? <laughs> hey, Mark, I, will there be any insects in heaven? At, at the picnic, sure. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Mark, I got to run to a break. I really appreciate you joining us, folks. Uh, talking with Mark Clipsham, a deep thinker, architect, and uh, a whole bunch of other things as well. Mark, uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. <laughs> All right, this is Ed Fallon, and when we come back from a short break for our farm and food saving, Kathy Burns is joining me. We're going to be talking about saving seeds in the Fertile Crescent. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. I didn't kill today. I found a better way. Nobody had to die. They didn't even cry. The revolution. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Lipsham is committed to the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark says no matter how you plan or renovate your project, use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. A beautiful project will be revered, maintained, and valued, and is the best investment you can make for a future we all share. Learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, you can consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. 
Gateway Market also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, Kathy Burns is with me. Hi, Kathy. How do you do? So, we're all about seed saving, and this time of the year, we're all about planting seeds under grow lights and in various nooks and crannies of the house where there is some sun. Uh, and, you know, we tend to do the seeds that we're familiar with here, but uh, maybe it's good that we become more familiar with seeds from the Fertile Crescent. Well, the reason for that is uh, they're, they're drawing a lot of attention, and for good reason. Some scientists in Lebanon right now in a facility called uh, ICARTA, and that, or ICARTA, and that stands for the uh, uh, International Center for Agricultural Research in the Dry Areas. That's why they want the acronym. <laughs> right. um, yeah, they're saving huge tens, tens of thousands of uh, seeds of varieties of plants from all over the Fertile Crescent. And again, the Fertile Crescent runs from the Persian Gulf up the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, through Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, yep. Israel, and I think even down into Egypt a bit. Thus forming a crescent. Thus forming a crescent. <laughs> okay. For those who may not be familiar with that. Yep. Yeah. Um, they are studying genetic structures and growth habits uh, and uh, the requirements of these seeds to produce. They want to learn what information they might hold that can help address food supply issues in the face of growing and what's, climate chaos. And what's, uh, what's unique? What's going on? Well, they're very old crop seeds from the Fertile Crescent area. And that's because agriculture basically started there about 11,000 years ago. Uh, there are some seeds directly from the area near their center in Lebanon, but other seeds are from forests and mountains throughout the Middle East, Asia, North America. And this is cool. They've been collected by researchers who've been hiking in the areas for years, specifically to find and save relatives of modern-day wheat, legumes, and other crops that people eat, and possibly some that might feed animals that people might eat too. So, and what? And I, I guess this area is special because it was where agricultural agriculture started, and it has a huge amount of diversity. Okay. There's a, there's a theory called the Saharan Pump Theory, and it suggests that this bridge area between uh, North Africa and Eurasia. Uh, is a hot spot for the distribution of really old world plants and animal life. So I'm curious about uh, whether GMO crops are part of the mix in terms of what they're studying and saving. I was wondering too, because not only are they studying these, but they, they say they are producing you know, new varieties and introducing those into areas that might help with some of the climate issues that people are struggling with right now. And the article that I originally read didn't mention if they were GMO or what they were, but I did some more digging and sure enough, um, and refreshingly, it all, all of the new varieties are being produced with selective breeding. Yeah, and so right, right now we're seeing uh, increased concerns about the availability of grain mm -hmm. uh, for various reasons, one of them being the war in Ukraine. But uh, how do you think this um, research and and, and the potential of these seeds, uh, how might that impact, you know, uh, food supply worldwide? Well, it's really, it could it could actually save, you know, human existence in one way. Um, the 
Folks at the plant are harvesting seeds in the fields in the surrounding valley. They're uh, replicating them and sending copies to the Global Seed Vault in Svalbard, Norway. Yeah, which is uh, the area of the world that's coldest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Way. One of the warmest areas yeah. of seeds being saved yeah. in the coldest. And so this is, my thought was, this is where intersection of climate change and world peace issues really <laughs> happens right. because according to the seed bank's manager, uh, Maria Yazbek, and I'll, I'll quote her, the seeds are an insurance policy. That was her quote, in case of a catastrophic mm. event such as mm-hmm. nuclear war. And uh, saving the seeds is um, is in a really reinforced facility, and it will ensure these plants mm. could survive a lot of so, different So uh, these plants, well, what kind of plants are we talking about? Are these anything that we're going to enjoy eating? Well, it's kind of fun. Chickpeas, <laughs> lentils, and other legumes are really on the oh, target. Mark would love for, those. Right, and we do too. <laughs> and we we grow a lot of beans, and yeah, we dry sure. a lot of beans. But the, the really uh, specific qualities that they are finding in some of these lentils and chickpeas and legumes um, – not only do they capture more CO2 than a lot of other crops, but they release nitrogen. They make it less necessary for chemical fertilizers mm. to be used. They grow with less water, and uh, they contain a substance that can attract and absorb moisture. It helps save them from freezing. Mm. There's just a lot of good that can come out of these, and they're developing some varieties now that have been even used in South Carolina in one, one yeah, place was, was, for the first time to grow through the winter. I was going to ask how these crops might translate to production in the U.S. Well, the U.S. climate is out of control, and so growing <laughs> well, legumes in varies, South Carolina in the winter is huge, and there's yeah. more being done. And we, can, and we can grow here in Iowa. We can grow chickpeas. I've never tried to grow lentils. That'd be fun. Uh, we can grow um, uh, black-eyed peas for sure, yeah. Yeah. Sure enough. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining us. Uh, interesting conversation. Hey, thanks to our guests today, uh, Joy Hone and Mark Clipsham, and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility. And thanks to our bumper music, uh, Des Moines Irish Session. Thanks for providing that. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Thanks again. We'll be back next week for another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.